Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and as most of you know, Advent is a season when we look forward to Jesus' second coming, but we also look forward to celebrating his first coming at Christmas. It's a sort of dual nature season. And today we're going to look at some passages which help us to understand the idea of messianic prophecy. And this may sound like a strange and obscure subject to you, um, through, but throughout the Jewish scriptures, there are scattered literally hundreds of pictures of someone who is coming, someone who is to come. He is pictured as a mighty warrior, a deliverer, a king, great David's greatest son, the Messiah. And that's where we get the phrase messianic prophecies. It's prophecies throughout the New Testament that was meant to prepare the people of God for the coming of the Messiah. Okay? So that's messianic prophecy. Some we know quite well, actually, especially in the season. Uh, like uh, there's a prophecy from Micah 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And this is very familiar. I mean, it's in countless nativity plays it gets quoted. Um, in fact, it's why Herod knew where Jesus was going to be born, this prophecy. Um, but actually, when you look a bit closer, there's a strange depth to it. It's more complex than it seems because the word ancient translates the Hebrew word olam, which means a time before time. And so really it's saying that his existence is from a time before time. And when did time begin? The creation of the universe. So it comes from eternity. And in fact, the New American Standard Bible, the 2020 version, translates it like this. His times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity, which is a good translation. Slightly better than the NIV, but I love the NIV. But anyway, um, uh, there's another prophecy which is quite familiar. It comes from Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and of peace there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Very familiar prophecy. Again, used a lot at Christmas time. A child is born. To us, a child is born. But actually, when you look at it, again, there's a strangeness about it. Because which child can you think of who deserves the titles Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace? 
There's only one person in history, that fits. But then there are other less familiar prophecies. There's a, a less well-known one, but a very significant one about a son of man. In my vision at night I looked. It comes from Daniel chapter 7, by the way. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And of course, that's a very significant prophecy. Jesus' favorite title for himself was Son of Man. And you know, when you read it, it, the Old Testament, it, Son of Man occurs a number of times. In Ezekiel, it always just means human being. But in Daniel, it means something more than that. And in fact, this was the prophecy that got Jesus condemned to death. Because when the high priest said, tell us the truth, are you the Son of God? He said, I am. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven at the right hand of the Mighty One. And the high priest said, what more do we need to hear? He is guilty of blasphemy. He deserves death. And they all agreed. So those are some messianic prophecies, some familiar, some less well-known. And there are over 300 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. But today I'm going to talk to you about the greatest of these messianic prophecies. It's the last of the servant songs in the book of Isaiah, and it tells of the suffering servant of the Lord. It's a passage so controversial and so explosive that it is never read in Jewish synagogues today. It's just left out of the lectionary. It's there, it's there in the Torah, but they don't read it. But the good news is I am going to read it to you this morning. So Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, to chapter 53, verse 12. <clears throat> See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled by him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouth because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain 
and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before a shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressions. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. It's a stunning passage, this. And you know what's even more stunning is that it was written 700 years before Jesus was born. How did the prophet know about it? How did the prophet know? Well, this is a passage that talks about an innocent sufferer dying for the sins of many, dying for the sins of his people, for the sins of the world, for our sins. And let me ask you a question. Who is the prophet talking about? And for those of you who were studying the book of Acts, you recognize this is a question that the Ethiopian asked Philip when Philip came up to his chariot. He was reading this passage. He said, who is the prophet talking about? It's someone who died. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. But someone who lives on beyond death, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. It's someone who died not for his own sins, but for the sins of, his wo of this world. And you know, Jesus said, I am the living bread that, comes down, that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This, this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. 
Let me ask you this. When in the history of the human race has anyone ever claimed to die for the sins of the world? There's only one person in history. Jesus made that claim. And today, one-third of the human race claims to follow him. Let me ask you another question. The prophet writes of one who will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. That's how he starts off. What does this mean? These are words that Isaiah only used to speak about God when he used them elsewhere. I'll give you a couple of examples. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his temple and the train of his robe filled the temple. He saw a vision of God. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, "For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy." I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. It's a description that Jesus uses, that Isaiah uses when he needs to speak about God. And you know, the consistent claim of the New Testament is that Jesus, this one who walked the earth with us, is Lord. That he is the word who spoke creation into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And yet he came to die for our sins. And the Apostle Paul said, therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me ask you one last question. What are you going to do with a prophecy that says Jesus died in your place, he died for your sins, in order to reconcile you to God. Now, many of us know that, but some don't. What are you going to do with a prophecy? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, in spite of all the messianic prophecies, in spite of these 300-plus prophecies, when Jesus came, many of his own people didn't receive him. They expected a king, a conquering king, and that's what he will be when he comes again. They didn't expect a savior, a lamb, a perfect lamb who would die for the sins of the world. But some of them did. And the Apostle John said, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of a natural descent, nor a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Those who receive Jesus become children of God, sons and daughters of God.
So, what will you do with Jesus? You see, God the Son knew that only death could pay for sin, and only the death of God could pay for the sins of the whole world, of the entire human race. But God couldn't die, and so God needed to become a man, because only men can die. And so the Son of God came into this world and was born as a baby in a manger, born fully human and fully divine, fully a man and fully God. And he knew from the beginning that his purpose was to die. He knew that his death was what would secure payment for the sins of the world. He knew every detail of the life he would live. And he revealed it to his friends, the prophets, beforehand. Because as the word of God, he spoke creation into being. As the word of God, he inspired the scriptures into being. And as the word of God, he revealed his suffering and his glory to his friends, the prophets. And so we have scattered throughout the Jewish scriptures hundreds of pictures of one who is to come. A mighty warrior, a deliverer, a king, great David's greatest son, the Messiah. The word of God revealed in human flesh, in human flesh. And that is who we celebrate at Christmas. It's Jesus. But Jesus is bigger than we can imagine. Amen.